Twenty years have passed since a tragic fire at an illegal rave killed over a hundred people outside Austin, Texas. But is that all that happened on the night in question? Experience the horror of Vampire the Masquerade like never before. Jackalope LARP and White Wolf present a blockbuster LARP horror event. The Night in Question, November 17th, 2018, Austin, Texas. Jackalope-LARP.com for tickets and information. Where will you be on the Night in Question? This is 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective podcast, brought to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome to another episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. I'm Nathan. And I'm Bob. And uh, we're here doing the final revised edition clan book. Clan book with Sombra. What do you think, Bob? Like best for last, best left unsaid. <laughs> um, I I love the, they're my favorite clan, the right. Sombra. And uh, what I got to say is, is uh, I love who's on the cover. Yeah, Lucita is an, an awesome character. Lucita de Aragon. It's like it's like uh, one of those characters where people like either love that character or hate that character. Well, they did a different thing, right? They made yeah. her super sexy and dangerous and bold and everything else. And then they had Fatima Alfacati as her lover, which was bold and great and sexy. Uh-huh. And then they put them in the novels as such. Then they made erotica about her, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, it's a eternal hearts. They did yep. that in, uh, which put her on main stage for a lot of people read the book. You'll know why, but ultimately now there's a Lucita comic book. Yeah, like she's she's almost a flagship character. She is. Yeah, she's she's very much a flagship character. Her and Theo Bell are like the big everyone, right? Everyone. Beckett, Anatole. Beckett recently. Yeah. Right, because I think Beckett back in the day was that name you mentioned. People were like, huh? <laughs> and then you mentioned Indiana Jones, and they're like, oh, okay. Right, but right. then that new Jihad Diary, right? That put that put it on main stage. Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, if you read uh, Gehenna, like he's yep. he's the he's the main character. Like he's the character. So like. Right. At the end, it it was kind of like focus shifted from Lucida to him, but she's in the book too, right? Yep. And she's like a focal point. But anyways, that's neither here nor there about this book. Wrong book. Right. So, <laughs> but Lysandra Clambus got her in the cover. I love the artwork of it, where it kind of makes her very effeminate. Mm-hmm. She's one of the most dangerous Lysandras that's out there, right? And that's and that's pretty cool. Um, the author of the book, I forget his name. His name is Bruce Ball. Bruce Ball has, Ball has a very unique perspective in looking how this book was set up. Um, Justin and Kelly helped him develop, right? It's right, right. there in there as well. Right. And as we know, if uh, good old J.A. is on it, pretty much we're about it. Right. Uh, that's where it gets. And this holds no different, at least for me. Um, I, I read this book, and I have to think that if you're wondering what the Sabbat is and how White Wolf envisions it, and you're not going to read the novels, you're not going to take those authors' perspectives, get this book because it's all written from a Sabbat perspective. Right. It's all about La Sombra Pax, and it starts with a cool story about how another good character gets embraced, right? Good old Emery. Uh, mm-hmm. Emery is the crippled uh, La Sombra who was... <laughs> he was made such the, the handicapped Lasombra. It's well <laughs> the cripple. I mean, yes, I apologize. He, yeah. I, I'm using terminology you use in there, right? Right. You know, that's right. that's what he said. That's what I use. Right. You'll read. We, that use, in we the cripple book. in air quotes. We're not like we cripple, right? You know. Exactly. And so the opening story tell and you and you got to read the opening story because it flows. It's this reads like a book. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So that's the one thing that um, uh, I don't know that I ever read this book in the heyday. I thought I had, but rereading it, it was like reading it for the first time. Like I didn't. I didn't know this story at all. So, 
either I forgot about it or I was so obsessed with the La Sombra <laughs> with a big old black handprint on his forehead that I just was like, I don't need to read that. It's not black paper. Like, I, you know, I don't right. know what happened. But um, yeah, the um, reading this was like literally like reading through the documentation of a character being embraced as a La Sombra into the Sabbat for the first time. Right. And I think it's unique in that perspective that, uh, you know, it's, it's telling that tale. And then, and he takes a very bold perspective. I mean, the other authors are fantastic that we've reviewed so far and doing very good. But I think this guy hit me, hit it home because after you read all the content on our journey, we've taken with right. 25 years, we get here and it's like, it's pulling it all together right. because we've been trying to hit viewpoints to give everybody a taste of what it's like. This book lands what it is to be Sabbat from a Lissambra perspective and any Sabbat's perspective. Um, it's, it starts with the typical Emery gets embraced. Well, let's explain what Lissambra do. And we won't, we won't get into the story because it actually kind of does ruin the book a bit, Yeah. but to review it, they're going to, they're going to highlight the fact that Lissambra's methodology for the embrace is this. You literally test the character of your perspective chilled by controlling every aspect of their life to ruin it. You give them challenges. And, and if you think the chill's worth it, They'll, they'll survive in some type of way that you agree they would be worthy as a vampire. Right. Now, a lot of people... But, Bob, uh, I thought that uh, this about just um, whacked people over the head with a shovel and just it was kind of like embraced willy-nilly. We get that perspective a lot, right? We hear that, that people yeah. make short-sighted summaries of, of what that is. And you're right to do it. That's part of the Sabat propaganda machine. Mm -hmm. They want you to believe that they're all sawed-off psychopaths that that pop out of the ground and they come out as raging canine warriors supreme. Well, doesn't that help their war effort? Right. Because if you believe every Sabat pack you come across is going to be able to tear you apart. We should do that. We should make a poster that's like, you too could be a sawed off psychopath and have like Sabat shovel party. Like absolutely. <laughs> and instead fear, there are people even terrified of reading about the Sabat yet. There's, there's nothing to be terrified about reading. Yeah. You know what I mean? They won't do it. They challenge Christian methodology. No, they don't. Right. But even if they did, so what? It's a fantasy game. Right. And like, it, it's it's those terms, right? right. And it's, but this is all propaganda, and it works very, very well. Right. White Wolf does its research, period, before it makes the authors do their research before yeah, they write I mean, about it. To the, I think to the best of their ability and, you know, maintaining. And I, I think this is an important thing to remember, too. And this is off topic just a tiny bit. But I think it relates, especially when we talk about the Sabbat. People go, oh, well, this isn't like that. And it's like, right. But at the beginning, when you first started playing this game, what did they tell you about the world of darkness, right? It, it is not our world. It is a darker reflection of our world. So it's not that they're challenging the mores of our religious beliefs, but they're challenging the mores of a religious belief that is very similar to ours in a fantasy world. Right. Right. That's that's what we need to keep in mind. Bottom line. This exists in the world of darkness, right? In the real world, there is no Pentax. <laughs> there are plenty of companies that have, you know, huge conglomerates and, and they're doing terrible things to the earth, but they're not controlled by demons or interdimensional monstrosities, right? Like that's what we need to keep in mind here. This isn't our world, it's a world of darkness. And that's how the technocracy wants it. Yeah, absolutely. Complete plausible deniability. <laughs> and I'm serious to that point. When you read about the Lissambra, especially in this clan book, they're going to tell you off the bat everything's a lie. They immediately tell you that. That if you're a Lissambra, we have to give... You're the leaders, right? Right. You're the leaders of the Sabbat because we're the ones who thought of the organization of the Sabbat. 
we used the Zemis for the spiritual magical power we needed to get the ability to have a Valdery, and that's their contribution. Their reward is that they're the second. Right. But we are the first. And to be the first, we are our brother's keeper. Now, we'll hit this. I said this in part one when you asked me that question as well. Is like, aren't they just like souped up venture? Mm-hmm. Aren't they the same? Yeah. Fucking no. <laughs> and that's why not. Is because they're their brother's keepers they care about everyone under them but everyone under them is going to fulfill a role they're going to have a use i said this to a person recently online i said you know your most useful tools you're going to keep on your hip depending on how much you need them right but when that useful tool is no longer in use you put them away and take very good care of it until you need it again right that's that's more than food for thought that's a high la sombra perspective that's an elder perspective also if the if the tool is broken you discard it it's just a tool right how does this different from venture i'll underline something about the venture because if you miss you miss the boat if you think they're the same the venture believe in lineage they believe in a in a manifest destiny right they believe they were meant to rule because even in their own history cain says they're the ones to rule lasabra have no such pretension nothing whatsoever and they also note that that's the exploited weakness of the seven clans that they all have some derangement that they're human. Right. This is outlined in the first Lissambrum book, and it's hammered home in this one. And this one is written from a very logical perspective. This is this is uh, Lissambra, who primarily are within 400 years of age. Right. They're less than 1,000 who you're dealing with. And, and they start by talking about Bishop Emery, right? And I love this description. It's like the middle of winter. And what I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, it's New York. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's like supposed to be just after Polonia took over. They're here and they're training. And, you know, this is whatever it is. And I may have the city wrong. It slips my mind, but I always got the description. Because whenever you hear about New York or see New York, it's really super cold and frigid. And we damn well know it's not Chicago. Right. So, uh, but the point is, Emery has rituals for his peg. They know that since he embraced them all, this, this these candidates... Um, he knows how they operate. And so when they wake up, they go through the rigmarole of relying on not having to communicate to talk. To the author's definition, the vaniculum gives you insight into how each other feels in the pack. That's very much true. Right. And that's a nuance overlooked by players. It's right? overlooked by a lot of storytellers, too. Right. And well, in, in storytellers, it's easy. It's either it's an on switch and you can do this, or it takes away from the blood bond. Right. Depending on how it is. And if you're going to have the blood bond in your game versus the vaniculum, then I would agree. Because if someone has a blood bonds, it's an immensely stronger feeling, right? It's that of utter slavery, vaniculum's to that of loyalty, right, it's but a deep emotional tie, right? But both are true in this. Yes, you will get emotional insights into your pack. That's how it works. And the way he blends them together in this is that the pack instinctively knows that begrudgingly it's lecture night. They know it's lecture night, but it's frigid cold outside, and they have to prove that they're learning. And so they like basically damn near strip themselves right. to climb this frigid building on the outside. And one guy, of course, has to be the A player, does it one-handed to get to the top to meet with Emery. Now, what's cool about this is that I keep calling him Bishop Emery, but that's because people will know him as Bishop Emery. He's not Bishop yet. He does go later on in the story. But they get to the top, and while they're climbing, they give insight. They all know that they got to show that they know how to use trace amounts of blood to warm their body to combat the cold. And they got to show that they're not cheating. Mm-hmm. Hence the stripping of clothing. Everything has a purpose in training. And that's the Sombra methodology. And you will get lectured. You need to know how to operate because everything's a test. Right. To the La Sombra, you earned the embrace because we ruined your life. 
You proved character worth. We embrace you. That does not mean you're in La Sombra and you're now untouchable. (laughs) What it means is the elders will want to talk to you. They will want to lecture you. They will want to know that a little shadow is capable of swimming in the abyss. Right. And if you can't and are found wanting, they will discard the broken tool. Right. That's the short, short version. That's that's it. If you want to know how to play La Sombra, we can stop there. And we can you stop listening, do your thing. But if you're still curious, that's how the book begins, and they begin to get into their history. Right. They they talk. They give you different lessons of the of the Sombra and where where they were in uh, the beginnings. You know, they, they basically they do they do the same thing every other clan book does, but they do it in a way where they break them out into lessons. Right. <clears throat> right. So the first lesson, the beginnings, where the clan emerged from, where it came from, uh, you know, how it became what it is, and they and they do it beautiful. Right. Because what do they say? They get into it, and one of the things is just what we already we already kind of revealed it. But they said everything's there's no truth. Right, right. They they talk very specifically. They say you know there is a place in this world for science. It's not to say that that science is worthless because it's done great things. However, we are living proof or unliving proof, if you will, that n- y- everything is manipulatable. Memories. You know, I can manipulate your memories without you even knowing it. And I tell you this because there's nothing you could do about it. It doesn't matter. So if the if truths can be manipulated, what is truth? What where where could we possibly came from? Exactly. Does it, and does it matter? They use logic. Right. They use a conversational logic. I adore that in this book. Because the whole pack listening, they're learning. You listening are learning. When you read it, you'll get that perspective. And and remember, this is the beginnings. Mm-hmm. They go through the fact that you probably were expecting us to talk like the pretentious humanist seven weak clans who are going to claim that they know Cain better than any other Cain. And quickly, the author, or the I believe it's uh, it, yeah, it is a bishop. His sire they embrace him as a bishop. Uh, Boko, I believe her name is. Could be wrong. Or Den Dendo. It's one of the two. Um, but the point is, she goes into it and she says, "Let me point something out about Cain. You ever notice how they spell Cain?" Without the E. Mm-hmm. Did you know that spelling Cain either way is not seen anywhere in the Middle East? The oldest civilizations come from over there, and yet the spelling's not there. So already we're in our first fallacy. It's proof that somebody wrote what we know of it, and probably somebody English is what she mm-hmm. points out. And you can't refute the logic of it, but it's a simple logic. It's a logic that everyone can get, and they're pointing out to question everything. Right. Find your own truth. And of that truth, find what's useful, and that's what you keep of it. The rest of it is smoke and mirrors. You know, manipulation. And they they roll from that, right? They go from that's the beginning, and then they start talking about the founder. And the founder is quantifiably one of the most profound things you'll find in any of the books. Every book describes their their, their founder in a deific fashion Mm -hmm. of the immense power they have and whatever. They make this seem like the founder. They call it an it, number one. They Mm -hmm. call all... Antediluvians, it's though. Right. This is important. They have a little blurb, right? Yep. They make that clear distinction that uh, things that are this old and this mysterious, they've kind of transcended, uh, you know, gender-based pronouns. Um, And they talk about how most of the clans usually identify the gender of their antediluvian based on like the the inherent masculinity of the clan, right? The Bruja was a he and the Ventry was a he. Uh, In this, we make the distinction, it. It's too alien, too old, and too unconcerned with gender to give a shit about making that distinction. And then there's no way to know. It's just, it's too far back. There's just no way to know. 
and it's and it's careless, but they do highlight one thing. If you want an origin story, pay attention to the old god myths. Um, every civilization, every ancient civilization has a goddess myth where the goddess is the one that comes in darkness with darkness to demand rights of, of meat from humans, uh, either through animal sacrifice, but all of it relates to blood. Blood was in everything and used for it. And they said, if anything, odds are it was a she or what made it was a she. They have a, they have a fascinating, uh, opinion that the fact that vampires as a whole were probably not even human initially fascinating right i'm gonna tell you something i believe though nate real quick it's awful white wolf there was a there was a series of books uh brian lumley made Mm -hmm. uh, called necroscope that you should check out where they do use that myth that's like alternate creatures uh merged with this reality i think we've even talked about necroscope a little bit a couple a couple of times but um i don't know if we've done so actually in this in 25 years but uh, anyways, continue your point. We, we haven't. But uh, Brian Lumley's books, they really did inspire a lot of horror, especially from the myths of vampires of different different directions yeah. ago than being a curse from God. And, and their vampires are distinctly different than Vampire the Masquerades. But the key elements, like the the theme, you know, the, the feeling you get, like the old horrors, like it's, there are definitely connections between those and, and Vampire the Masquerade. The biggest connection they destroyed canon-wise, which is good, that's where the Zemis, mm-hmm. the Zemis are the perfect reflection of what the Whamfrey are, which is what mm-hmm. they're called in Necroscope. And those alien entities that devour you from within, they were the soul eaters. Right. It's clear relation, linear-wise. Right. And the, the old spirit that's bound to the soil. and yeah, Right. Yeah. And it's, I, it's been a really long time since I've read Necroscope, but yeah, I mean, you know, I'm getting there with you. <laughs> but, the, but the beauty of it is, is that, like, here it is even in the La Sombra book, where they're hinting at, and not that, that they're whamfree or anything at all, it's just mm-hmm. that, keep your mind open to right. that there was probably a race before us. Well, and that- uh, yeah, right. And 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 that's that's the other thing that they do touch on here. They they say that, you know, perhaps evolutionarily every strongest species has had something that's fed upon it. You know, some right. some offshoot, some derivative of of that of that race or that of that species what have you. So, and they talk about that mankind's greatest strength, homo superior's greatest strength is that they are homo superior, homo sapiens, (laughs) the X-Men, sorry, uh, homo sapiens' greatest strength uh, is the fact that it's adaptability. Right. And so when they highlight this, they say, and I actually went with them on this, like just follow it down the rail, they said, let's talk about Cain a second, and let's think about Cain and Abel. Uh, Abel was the old version of what we were, and this is a possibility. He knew how to hunt, right, because he sacrificed animals, raised animals, Right. but he was out there trying to figure it out with the great beasts that were hunting man because the first of mankind were gatherers right they were not hunters the hunters came after so here you have cain uh, excuse me abel was the future excuse me here you have cain the farmer the gatherer who is watching how the hunter's getting along but you watch as cain utterly destroys that which would surpass him by sacrificing abel and how do we know that cain wasn't just the one to steal their power somehow or maybe it's a matter of he got infected by them or whatever or he evolved from doing it but he utterly wiped out the race before that's possible too right we don't know but we do know this is that when we think about our origins we only have to look to history to find the snippets and of that there is no truth we can define right and so that we did ourselves by our own hand when we killed our antediluvian right and um on the topic of killing one's antediluvian there is a blurb in here, and they talk about how 
that uh, it's it's something that's mentioned about the devil being in the details. And <laughs> I think I think that not only this clan book, but almost everything that's ever been produced that's quote unquote canon. That's like the story of the story. I think that bears mention that, you know, they talk about how there are a number of different individuals who are still functioning, who are still up and walking around that are still active in the final nights and none of them have the same story. And all of them are dead set on their story and none of them bear any uh, symptoms of, of being dominated, of having their mind altered. And I think that one of the key things that's important to remember about Vampire the Masquerade and typically White Wolf in general is that we're not here, like these books are not here to tell you the whole story. And I think a lot of players really get kind of like their undies in a bunch because they don't agree on what the truth of the stories are. Like this happened for sure. That's not what this is about. That's not what this is for. That's not what any of these books are for. These books are to tell you give you an outline to tell a story, right? Because remember, this is a storytelling game. And I think that's really super important to remember that the truth is always subject to interpretation. Just like they say at the beginning of this clan book, there's no inalienable truths. Everything can be manipulated. So whose truth is the truth? That's perfect, right? And it's done on purpose because in their canon, if, if, you, if you need to see the truth in what we're saying, uh, buy the Gehenna book. We haven't reviewed it yet, but when we do, you're going to see that it's its literally a bunch of endings. Right, right, right. It's a bunch of endings that could happen that include the antediluvians of every type. Right. And so, I mean, that's keep that in mind. But more to keep in mind with what this book is, this book is telling you, without telling you, we didn't kill an antediluvian. They didn't kill an antediluvian. <laughs> right? Right. Because everyone that could, that has a different story that mm-hmm. is proving to be true as far as they know it. Auspix detects them and proves them correct. Even looking at their memories, they, they, they see their truth. Right. This doesn't mean anything. But also when they tell you why, how the antediluvian operated makes sense. Right. Like a bit of quick history rundown real fast. Yep. Um, they talk about the sea people. This is how bad their history is, as La Sombra called. They can't recall the name that they had when they dominated <laughs> the ocean. Right. And so they don't even try. They're like, well, memory, right? What, it, whatever it is. <laughs> we're of the sea people. This is why we're tied to the sea. This is why we're on the sea. And they dominated the age, uh, the whole, the whole ocean area, especially around the Greek islands and all that stuff. And they go over it, and that's where the antediluvian dwelled. Was on a coastal city. They don't even name really where it is. They right. give guesses. And the fact is, is that they were so good at dominating the area that they they caused another dark age. It was around the, like the late Bronze Age. They're talking about. Right, And they're out there kicking rocks and stopping people from doing what they want. Well, then a thing happens. See, Alexander the Great comes across and he says, guess what? Kiss my ass. Everything's mine. And they were like, wait a second. Well, we're having a hard time keeping this whole sea dominance. And then in like uh, Pompey's day, Rome, Rome comes around and goes, no, the sea is ours. Right. And they give a cute little Roman phrase in there, which literally means our sea. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the Lasamba were like that we, they, they killed everybody. We literally have nothing now. There's nothing we can do. Right. And he's like, well, what was the antediluvian's uh, decision then at that point? Well, the antediluvian just uh, stayed where he was right. in his coastal haven right. until a volcano erupted. I feel like the La Sombra antediluvian is one of the antediluvians that's like, it's like the most is known, but is the most elusive, right? It's huh. like, <laughs> it's like you can't really pin down what this individual, this entity was like. And uh, I've always liked that about this clan, that we supposedly went in and diabolized it, and 
we don't even have like the gratifying Shamase wink of the eye story. Nope. It's just like, oh no, he's dead. Okay, what happened? Yeah, we killed him. They do a fantastic job of giving a Lovecraftian evidence of it. In the novel, watching, reading about Montano, right, that they mention. Mm-hmm. And, and before Dead Said Say the novel, I want to say we may come across it in a Dark Ages book, but I'm mm-hmm. almost positive it's a novel story where Montano is sitting in the abyss and there's leviathans that he never summoned. Right. And he's the most powerful. Yeah, I recall that story too. I, I also I don't remember like which. I th- um, there's a bunch of like Lasombra novels too. So we'll, we'll get to all that stuff. But why it's cool is because. They give even further mention and in, in great descriptions of why Montano feels in himself you didn't kill what you think you did. Right. And only he's the keeper, basically. He's the keeper of that which you do not want to know to. That's why he's right. walking running around and doing it. And that's why this clan, this clan book, I like a lot because they refer to Montano as being that one with the weakness of honor. <laughs> <laughs> Even when you look at Montano's history, he was embraced because of that honor. Mm-hmm. He serves a purpose. And what perfect purpose than to be the gatekeeper? Right. Right. Of those who seek whatever. Because he doesn't oppose the clan. Right. He just stops those who come to kill him. Yeah, yeah. Move on. But back to the point. They get the sea, they lose the sea. Volcano erupts. And the Lasombra as a clan basically said, well, let's move out. Let's move out. Because feeding's no longer easy. Because everyone's super protective of their resources. These communities are so close and it's so insular that any stranger coming in, you're, it's going to be too difficult. So let's go where there's not ash and lava and we'll, we'll dandle it. Some of you stay here, rest, leave. And right. the Lasamri at the just went on one of his wanderings. That's how they describe it. That's literally how they give you the history of, of Lasamri itself. And when they describe his demise, they're not praising Gratiano. Right? Did you catch that? Mm-hmm. They like give you a history lesson of what Gratiano did because mm-hmm. it's talking to students, right? Telling them how a good solid plan and its execution are all you need to take down even a god. And and that's it. But they're not praising him. They're praising themselves and their ability to plan. This is why right. we do what we do. Right. And Gratiano's story is a story of eminent failure, right? Fails as a mortal, can't get it done. Then the antediluvian fails him. And I love this. The insight to the antediluvian and what's frightening about Lasombra, whatever it is, is when it goes to Gratiano when he's captured by his enemies and one caught up in his schemes that Lasombra designed him to get captured in, and he tells him, I want to give you the option of the embrace right now. But Gratiano feels that he can beat even his rap as he sits in jail. That I can get out of it, there's still life in me yet. And the Lasombra, it looks at him and goes very well, and it leaves. And then the Lasombra set it up to where that day his enemies come in and beat the shit out of him. They break both his legs. They collapse ocular cavities. See, he can't open his eyes when next it comes to him the next night. Right. And it goes, do you see the lesson now? And Gratiano's like, I, I need your power. I need, I, I need raw power. And that was the lesson. Right. No matter how good of a manipulator you think you are, raw power is raw power. Right. And then he accepts the embrace. And the clan hammers it home, but they're also studying the students, the new crop of Sabbat. Right. Who are supposed to be digesting these lessons. Because they will be tested later. Right, exactly. And uh, um, I think uh, at the end of this chapter, we talk about the anti-tribute. And for those of that listened to the previous one, um, you know, the eldest that's still up and functioning is still Montano, right? Like, that hasn't changed. And and I feel like um, just, there's a couple of clan books where, like, they're very character-driven. And the Giovanni, 
That is definitely a very character-driven clan book. Right. Very little change. And this one is very character-driven as well because the original is Somber Clan, which I, I love them for this. Like, they did it with the, the Shamase or the Zemis. They did it with the Lissambra. They did it with the Giovanni. Like, you have these kind of, like, personalities that are very important to the creation and the, the history of the clan. Venture, I think, has it a little bit, but really they didn't in the first clan book. They Not, did kind no. of in the second one, but they didn't in the first clan book. Um, but this one is still the same. So if you've listened to that, like... These characters are still here. We haven't erased them from history. We haven't deleted them. Right. And we still have this individual who is considered a Lissambra and a tribute. And they're very rare. They're very few and far between. But they come from a very powerful source, which really isn't any different than it was originally. Right? We're not telling a new story here. At all. We're telling the same. It's just, it's less of, a, of an interest or concern. Because remember, we're Lissambra. We're Sabat. We are the clan. And then also there's like this offshoot and we and don't really talk about this book is a training manual. Right. Right. So there's not a lot of time spent giving a shit about what those folks are doing over wherever they're at or whatever the second. And I love it. My, one of my favorite comments in this book mm -hmm. is like, if you were looking for a tale of what happened in Nod and Kane and all the other clans, um, let me tell you one thing. There's no of the three that were Kane's children. None of them were worthy of embracing us. <laughs> so none of them had the skill set. So there had to have been more than three second gen. It just doesn't make sense. And if I may, let me add that also, how did they get killed by the let? That's not, this makes no sense, but I digress. There's a truth somewhere in it. We don't know it. So we don't waste time on it. Let a notist talk your head off for hours about how it might've been. And we stick to what works, what's now. Yeah, I was just uh, glancing at this uh, human hardcore blurb in the <laughs> second. Uh, they talk about serial killers, about the merit of embracing serial killers. And, you know, for the most part, people would think, well, hey, uh, basically, they're already Sabat. Like, why not just embrace those, you know, sick assholes? Well, they give you an idea. Um, the level of obsession and focus and the, the quote unquote signature of such individuals actually doesn't translate very well. Um, you know, they become less like good soldiers and, uh, it says serial killers let loose among the undead almost inevitably burn themselves out in a few years, if not months or weeks, they can't continue doing what they do, what they used to without significant modifications to their routine. And even though their unlives, uh, unliving brains don't have the biological compulsions anymore, the habit remains. So they go down in gunfire or under the fangs of their fellow vampires. Another experiment failed. And I just, you know, I think that that's, that's interesting. That's, that's why, like, someone who is already a deranged individual, especially in the Sabbat, where sort of like, you know, social mores are sort of rent from you and you don't, like, you don't have the same restrictions, like you have all this power, you know, it's not, it's not a good idea. But also, it tells to the tale of what, the Lissambra do to potential children, what they put them through. And, you know, someone who's like this already, not a really great candidate. So, and it's, it's not going to be, cause we've got to remember, um, mm -hmm. I've had many talks, right. You and I over the years, right. With, with think tanks of late nights. And the point is, it doesn't make sense. If you can't, it's, it's a war machine. If you can't build up after breaking down your soul and, and that should be familiar to any soldier out there. Right. What is boot camp? It's breaking you down of your habits to train you to habits that work for the military. Right. The Lasombra's method is truly no different, save there's no real boot camp 
as much because i mean you're, it's an undead body it's not physiologically trying at that point so they got to do it character wise you know we got to make sure you're worthy of doing it so you can grow up being the perfect vampire you can be mm-hmm. that's the point right absolutely and so in the next chapter they talk to us about the process one goes through becoming Alessandra. And I think this is great for anybody who wants to play that Sabat clan and, and actually see like what a nuanced experience it is to be embraced, to be chosen for the embrace by this clan. And um, so it, it's definitely, to me, it's invaluable. I mean, they, they talk about like, it, it is a long involved process. And that very first story will tell you, right? What, what does that character go through? They, they talk about the loss of loved ones. They talk about, you know, losing a limb, essentially, you know, becoming paralyzed, going through all this stuff and like all of these downfalls over the course of 10 years. And to me, it, it was I thought it was funny. It reminded me immediately of like Fight Club. Right. Right. And it was just like stripping away everything you are to reveal your rock bottom self and how you can deal with all of that loss and then the ability to rebuild yourself, right? Stripping you of all ego and just breaking you down to like brass tacks. What are you? What is Bob? What is Nate? Take away everything you've ever known and loved and all the, the comforts you've become accustomed to. And, and we now, are just hey. muffins or <laughs> just crumbs. That's it. <laughs> but luckily uh, we're we're a sturdy cornbread muffin you know Corn, like hardy goes with mm-hmm. any meal a utility muffin perhaps anyways um <laughs> so so it goes through all of that and then uh of course we have the the lissambra mechanics um the obligatory merits and flaws all of which are very cool you know very interesting little details to iron out your character Hi, you know like um Oh, well, two myths. Let's let's have fun with the myths for a second. Mm-hmm. Why are Lissandra tied to the sea? I already explained that. Mm-hmm. They come from sea people. There's some fascination there. There's some connection. FYI, never explained. Nowhere, anyhow, is it ever explained. <laughs> Why it's not explained? Because it's a cool thing. There are a lot of cultures that tie a lot of lore and myth to the ocean. Deep in the ocean. Exactly. You cannot see the sun. If you want, so dark. <laughs> if you wanted to do a thing where the mother of Grendel is, because in a lot of writing she's tied to the sea as well, that that's that's the antediluvian, somehow, in some way. You don't ever tell the players, but you as a storyteller decide to have fun with that myth and spread out. You could do it, and right. it makes sense because whenever Lysandra's embraced, they can take merits and flaws that tie into the ocean. Right. That's what's there. It's inherent, and and really they highlight the fact that you know why we like the ocean so much. Because whose blood's in her veins, and it likes the ocean. That's all you need to know. <laughs> right. <laughs> they talk a little bit about uh, morality, and they talk about um, the the different ways that one can apply the powers of the shadow. Um, and oh, yeah, and it's great. I, I, I can't believe I almost forgot about that. This is the clan book that really opens your imagination to the many ways that uh, the shadows are used. Because the whole thing is written as a story. But what's cool about the story, you can go and look at the merits and flaws they might have taken or the ideals to help them do that. Mm-hmm. So to stop your tendrils from being octopods, oct- octopus limbs or something like that, you can make them be something else. It's okay. Right. Play with it. Um, I believe in the opening chapter, the uh, the bishop that makes Emery embraces him. They all come from shadows of her hair. Yeah, the way, that, the way that they, like. they describe her, she is. I like. I'm reading this description, and I'm like, "What the fuck is this thing? Like, right. what is this shadowy thing?" But it outlines for you that 
this is a this is a clan and it is a discipline that this clan has and it allows for a great deal of creativity and i feel like there's nothing wrong with that like use this right and and i think that also i like to touch on the fact every once in a while like these are not just for for players right these are for storytellers too absolutely this is an amazing resource for a storyteller to go ah oh, shit i i always thought that these guys were just like generic venture pirates nah they're not Here's why. Here's some stuff. Eric <laughs> Venture Pirate. That's another good one. Uh, here's the thing. And here's here's the coolest reason why I love Obtenebration over any power ever made by White Wolf. It ties to the clan La Sombra so well. Right. One, it explains why they have no reflection. Right. Right? It really does. Like, they have to sacrifice something to be there for some reason. And I've always been fascinated by why is that. And it makes sense that if they're tethered, calling some other power that you call the Abyss, it calls to you. Right. And it really fits to them, right? And that's awesome. The other thing is, is that this book, this book here, describes what it's like to be in the effects of any of the shadows, whether it's Shroud or a Tendril Grab or what have you. And the way they describe it is, it's the same thing as being in a sense deprivation tank, right? It's a weird sense of peace because it blocks, it stops your mind from thinking of anything but the infinite dark that it's in. It's, it's cold, but not so cold you can't exist. What happens is it shocks your system. Right. It almost puts you in a state of near death is what it reads like. And in those moments when people see their life flash before them or insights really is what goes on. Same stories people talk about being in a sense depth tank. And if you read up on that, they're, they're profound experiences. And I'm not saying they're gurus. Like you want to meditate, throw up shroud and sit in it. But tell me you can't imagine playing a character who would sit in his own shadow in his haven at night for an hour or two, contemplating how he's going to go through the machinations of the night or some plan. But remember, it's devoid of any petty emotion or feeling. Like your body, it's like being outside of yourself. Right. Because the shadows are from a different place. And it's like they feed on the emotions you have. So they temporarily disable them. And and because they're using them, and I love that, right? Because it makes you a monster. There's just so much more that you, as a storyteller, you as a player, can investigate when you understand that obtenebration isn't just a manipulation of shadows, right? It is it is communing with the abyss. It is essentially it is your one way ticket to a whole other world of concepts and of play and of understanding and and just like so much more horror can you know can be found with this clan i, I think i think it's i, I think it's it's uh it's something that um if you have the opportunity to to role play with a storyteller who's very imaginative and also like has a, a level of knowledge where they can uh, they can properly portray this stuff you should definitely take advantage of it i i think it's a, it's a potentially a great experience and if you don't have one damn it be that storyteller and do it yourself. I think so. No argument for me, right? Uh, we're gonna we're gonna move on past that chapter. And there's one character I want to talk about in uh, chapter three. Chapter three, they talk about the you know the, the obligatory ten you know uh, ready made characters, right? One of my favorites, and this this concept, generally speaking, is one of my favorites. Period. But it's the successful mass embrace. And it's this like 60 something year old grandmother and she's holding a cake. And I, I always like the concept of sort of very average human beings, average people living average lives, you know, just like we live, 
who are suddenly and unexpectedly thrust into a crisis situation. And then in that situation, they thrive, right? It's the same thing I like about like zombie movies. I've kind of, I'm on the, the back end of the zombie phenomenon. Like I'm, I'm pretty much over it, but I've always liked the concept of like, Hey, you're just the average Joe, right? You turned a wrench or you worked at a Dunkin' Donuts and now you're thrust into this crisis situation and suddenly the, your, your personality put into crisis or put into a completely fish out of water situation, there's something about you that helps you to thrive in there. Whether it's just dealing with the horror, the crushing horror of having to run from zombies or be a vampire or feed off of people. And I love the successful mass embrace. I love that sort of concept. But again, you get 10, you know, nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. And then at the, at the end where Bob was talking about how this book is kind of like, it's about packs, right? And that's where we have here sample brood, the black Eagle consulting incorporated. And, you know, these are, these are resources that are awesome for you as storytellers and for players as well to give you an idea of like, okay, what kind of a pack could I operate? What kind of a group of individuals are we going to sit down at the table and make? And then we have the Lissambra of note, which again are not any different. So, right. There's still, we, we've, I know we've gone over them. Yeah. Multitude we, yeah, of times. We, yeah. The first uh, edition clan books, they have these characters and by now, you know, if you've been playing for a while, you're probably pretty familiar with them. So and hell children of the night has three of them. We just haven't reviewed that book yet. No, right. no, no. We we, we haven't reviewed the the newer book that's coming out in a couple of weeks. I say a couple of weeks, right. but I mean a couple podcasts down the road. Um, so, what's your thoughts, Lasombra Clan book? I, I cheated. I said, well, I'll, I'll say it again. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's it's, it's right. a fantastic book. Well, I, I've made no. Uh, I I have not made any effort to hide the fact that I truly enjoy the Sabbat, and I think that. Um, the Lasombra are an amazing clan, and I think that they're one of the most underrated. And I don't really understand why, because I think that they're one of the better realized clans by and large. And yeah, there are some like annoying characters, but also there's some freaking ridiculously awesome ones. And I feel like the entirety of this game kind of hinges on a clan that came to the game late. And I really appreciate that you know, they made the, these, these new, newer clans. We'll, we'll call the, the Zemis and the Lasombra newer clans, but they really kind of hung their hats on them. They're really imperative to the overall concept of the game. And I mean, I always liked them and I don't think that we've done ourselves a disservice with this clan book. So not at all. And there's three clans in all of white wolf that I think define, uh, what the traditional vampire is as we've grown to love. And that's the Zemis, the Lasombra. And, uh, of course the, why did I suddenly brain skip? I don't know. Sorry, Gangrel. <laughs> right? And so that's right. it. And, it, you know, it's the, from there. Honestly, those three clans, if you could somehow blend them, you would have, like, to me, I see Dracula. Yeah, you, you, fully could, probably, you could probably blend them, but then you'd have to play Requiem. <laughs> that's too true, man. <laughs> well, they, they hey, you know what? Let's not start any fights or any uh, any fires here in, in comment sections. But we'll get to them. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely get to that. But anyways, Clan Book Lasombra, uh It's I think it's definitely an imperative for you to have on your book or on your bookshelf rather. Um, if you're if you're not going to you know investigate them further, even if you're only using the Sabat as antagonists, I feel like it behooves you as a storyteller 
to know your antagonists well so that you can properly portray them because really we're just the same concepts with different ideologies and just throwing Lasombra at your Bruja players is not really doing anybody any services. And just treating stuff like Obtenebration, your description is only so much as to say the Lasombra inks and runs away. Probably not going to do you any justice either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If if you if I'm playing in your game and you go, yeah, that Lasombra, they ink and they run away. Uh, I'm also going to ink and I'm going to run away because <laughs> um, I think that you're being you're being lazy fundamentally and you shouldn't be lazy when you're trying to have fun. So anyways, um, we're going to be off for um, about a week or so. So there will be no podcast from us next week. But then uh, second week of May, we should be back with a new with a new podcast. Two weeks from now, we will be back with another podcast. We will be doing. Uh, we will be reviewing Blood Sacrifice, the Thaumaturgy Companion. So, for all of you Tremere and you Thom heads out there, um, that's probably going to be a long one. Those and, companion books tend to be uh, a bit long, so it has to mean they believe in hammering home. Those books were made to explain and dispel a lot of myths that people are hanging right, hats on right. to understand where it comes from. They have to be long, right? So, how many podcasts do we have left? You're asking yourself to no one. Um, for Vampire the Masquerade, we've got a probably about a good 30. So just so everybody's aware, we're probably going to still be doing vampire books through the end of the year. However, um, with the changes coming to the Utility Muffin Labs, um, we may have more time. We may have more podcasts coming. Um, so definitely stick with us. We're going to be experiencing hopefully a great deal of growth in the next couple of months as things change, as our lives evolve, and we just become more amazing at what we do. I don't amazing. Know I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. So. That's what you do. You do. I feel that we're riding the same wave, and, and, don't, and don't doubt yourself. I don't doubt myself for a Good. moment. Good. Not at all. Ever. I never have doubted myself for a moment. Constant, constant <laughs> doubt. <laughs> right. Thank you guys for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Until next week, I'm Nathan. And I'm Bob. Actually, until two weeks, I'm Nathan. And I'm still Bob. Hey, folks, this is Nathan from 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. If you'd like to help support our podcast, there's a few ways you can go about doing so. First, you can get some cool rewards by supporting us at patreon.com slash 25 years of vampire the masquerade. Check out our website at utilitymuffinlabs.com. We now have a shop where you can get your very own Utility Muffin Lab sticker or pick up a cool shirt from our TeePublic shop. That's tpublic.com slash utilitymuffinlabs. If you want to send us comments or you are a content creator who'd like to be on one of our podcasts, send us an email to nathan at utilitymuffinlabs.com. Finally, you can send me actual physical letters to P.O. Box 30332, Indianapolis, Indiana, 46230. We will be at Gen Con this August as well, so keep listening for more details as they become available. Thank you for supporting Utility Muffin Labs. We are consistently rated adequate. Adequate.